but we want to overemphasize that we're excited that you're here and that we pray that you'd feel so welcome here and that you'd feel like this is family. Uh, that's our desire. And my prayer, too, is that you would truly encounter God tonight because I believe he's real. If I didn't believe he was real, I wouldn't be in ministry because that'd be silly, right? But I believe he's real and that he wants to speak to us. I, you know, During worship, I just felt a profound sense of his presence myself. I felt like the Lord was really speaking to me. And I just pray that you would have that same experience tonight because God is in the business of talking to us. He's in the business of encountering us. And I believe he has something really specific for you. And it might be different than what he has for the person next to you. But I believe that God has something for each one of us tonight. And I believe he's going to speak. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, so, no, so nine years ago, I came into UNI as a freshman. And I was trying to, or trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I was very confused about what God was asking me to do, was trying to figure that out, and it didn't take long after I got to campus to realize that God was calling me into ministry. I was at the fall retreat, and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what that is, ask your small group leader, but anyways, God, I, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and, and God gave me a vision of you and I, well, specifically the room we met in back then in Chi Alpha. He gave me a vision of that room being filled up, and I felt like he said, Daniel, I want you to be in ministry, and I want you to give your life to seeing or to seeing UNI students reach for Christ for the next few years. It was interesting because I didn't end up staying at UNI as a student, but then God brought me back. But that's besides the story, or besides the point. But the point is, uh, during that season of, of starting to pursue ministry, of starting to kind of explore what that looks like, I was reading a lot of books, I was listening to podcasts, I was listening to sermons every week, and I started to become really puffed up. I started to really think I knew a lot about the Bible. I began to think that I had a lot to say, you know, like 19 years old, and thought that I had a lot to say to other pastors. Well, I wasn't even a pastor, so to pastors about how to do church. I thought that God wanted me to post every angry thought I had on Facebook and rant about stuff all the time, and I became really prideful. Okay, so anyways, and I was probably prideful before that, but it just started to manifest. And then after my sophomore year of college, I, or God called me to transfer schools to pursue ministry, to pursue training. So I got married to my wife, Emily, and then we moved up to Minneapolis, and I started to go to Bible college. And I believe that the Lord brought me there for a few reasons. The first thing is I believe he wanted to teach me about the Bible. Okay, so that's one thing. That's kind of the reason you go to Bible college. I think he wanted to teach me about how to pastor people. But the, but the more important thing was I thought, or I think he wanted to humble me. Okay, so I was like a big fish in a small pond. Because Chi Alpha back then uh, was like 40 students. And tonight's a low night. You know, usually we have more students here, but coronavirus and... Uh, and concert and stuff like that. But, you know, we had about 40 students, so I was kind of like the main leader. And I was a big fish in a small pond here at UNI. And then I went to this Bible college. And these kids were talented in ministry. Like, they could just, like, get behind a microphone. And they were just, like, preaching. And I was scared out of my mind to get behind a microphone. And these people had skinny jeans. And back then, fedoras, okay? Uh, don't wear, well, if you're wearing a fedora, that's great. So besides the point, shouldn't make fun of a clothing item, because you might love those. But anyways... So, so these people were really cool, and I was broke because I just got married. So all I could afford were like Walmart jeans and T-shirts, you know, and and they had these like eighty-dollar shirts on and these nice jeans and these like boots and stuff. And I was just like trying to be cool, and and it just wasn't working. But anyways, the Lord humbled me a lot through that, through seeing these other people who were called to the same thing as I was, and seeing that they were more talented than I was. And at the same time, the Lord began to open a door for me to do an internship at a Chi Alpha up there at the University of Minnesota, and when the Lord opened that door, I thought, okay, this is my chance. 
I'm going to start preaching. I'm going to be leading people. It's going to be amazing. And then I got to my internship on day one. They said, okay, here's what we want you to do. You're going to lead a small group, which is great, okay? But I was already leading a small group before that. And the second thing, and this is the big thing, we want you to be the leader of our cafe team. I'm like, what the heck is a cafe team? I don't want nothing to do with that. So cafe team is you brew coffee and you serve donuts. I said, I did not get into ministry to serve donuts, okay? I got in to preach the word. But the Lord wanted me to do that because he needed to humble me, okay? So for that whole year, I would get to church first because I was an intern at the church too. I, I, would, I would get to church first. I would have the donuts, the coffee. I would do all that. And the Lord was profoundly humbling me during that experience. And, and about halfway through the year, I got a call from the state director of the Iowa Chi Alpha here. And he called me and asked me if I'd want to come back and be the director of this Chi Alpha. And so pretty much I'm going from the donut dude to the lead guy. And the point I'm making there is I think that the Lord had to humble me in that way before he would exalt me, before he would give me more responsibility because I was really arrogant. I still am arrogant, right? If you say you're not arrogant, you're probably arrogant. So I'm still arrogant. I'm just going to err on that side. And I'm, but point is I was really prideful and the Lord needed to humble me before he could use me, okay? Like he needed to get me to this point where I got to the end of myself where I realized I'm really not that great before he could use me. And, and I believe that's true for all of us. Before God's going to use you, he needs to humble you. So if you walked in here with an inflated sense of your own importance and, and talents and all that kind of stuff, I just pray tonight that the Lord would do a work in your heart and that he would show you who you are. And, and here's the beautiful thing about Jesus, right? He doesn't say you're no good. That's not what he's trying to say to you. But he says that you're more flawed than you could ever imagine. Okay, so you are more flawed than you could ever imagine. So that's true. But at the same time, you're more loved than you could ever dream. Okay, so when you get that reality inside your head and inside your heart that, yes, you are flawed, but at the same time, you're infinitely loved, it just changes you on the inside. I pray that that would happen tonight. I pray that a profound sense of humility would, would kind of take up residence in our group, that if there's any area of pride, if there's any area of feeling like, or of thinking of ourselves more highly, or more highly than we ought to, I pray tonight that the Lord would humble us. I believe we all came in here tonight with big dreams, and we all desire to achieve something. For me, I want God to use me to build the church. I want God to use me to lead people into a thriving relationship with him. That's what I feel called to do. But for you, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that you're in school because you probably want to do something with your life. You didn't just come here for fun, or maybe you did, but I think a lot of you came in here because you want to make a life for yourself. You want to do something great. You want to be used in the world. For some of you, you... or for some of you, you want to be a teacher. Like you want to just kind of transform the way that the classroom works. You want to be a teacher who understands your kids' needs, but at the same time you can teach them new things and help them to understand complex realities. Uh, for others of you, you want to be a great parent. Maybe you didn't have a good parent, or maybe you had a great parent, and you want to be like your parent for, or for your kids. You have this dream that you would just be the best mom or the best dad in the whole world. Uh, there's others of us here tonight who you want to be a business owner, or an entrepreneur, you want to start a small business or whatever, you want to be used to create something new. I don't know what you came in here tonight wanting to do, but I do believe that inside every human heart, we want to do something great. And I believe it's it's especially true in our society. Just this last week, I actually think it was like two days ago, I was listening to an interview from John Mark Comer, the guy who wrote the book on Loveology or the book on love that we talked about for three weeks that you all loved hearing Pastor Derek and myself talk about sex and dating and romance. It was a beautiful time, right? But anyways, I was listening to that, that guy, that author on an interview, and he was talking about this philosopher, 
and I'm going to butcher the way you pronounce his name, but it's something like Young Chul Han. Okay, he's a German-Korean. Pretty cool, huh? But anyways, he's a philosopher. And this philosopher has this theory that we live in an achievement society, and we're pushed to be entrepreneurs of ourselves. Entrepreneurs of ourselves. That's an interesting phrase, right? We're, we're, we're pushed to kind of make a name for ourselves. And in 100 to 200 years ago, we lived in a society that was called a discipline or a disciplinarian society, which is pretty much, hey, go do what you're told. Stay in your place. Just do your duty, and then you'll be good. And society has shifted to now where we're called to pursue our dreams and, and do something great. And we're told that, there, or that nothing is impossible if we work hard enough. If we just pursue our dreams, we don't give up, nothing's impossible. In the interview, John Mark talks about how this mindset in our culture actually leads to to depression. Okay, so you might wonder, why do we have so much depression in our society? I think part of it is the achievement society mentality that each of us are called to go do something impossible with our lives, to chase our dreams, and, and to see all of our biggest hopes realized. Because what happens is when you live in a society when you're told that there's nothing that's impossible, it actually causes you to think that, or to, or to think that nothing's possible. Right, because you try to pursue these crazy dreams, you try to or to realize all your greatest hopes and fantasies, and when you don't, you think, "Wow, I'm useless, I'm hopeless, nothing's possible." Now I couldn't achieve that great dream because you've been told from the time that you were a little boy or girl that you could do anything you wanted to, and then when you can't do that, it causes depression. That's what John Mark proposes, and I think it's pretty compelling. I'm not a philosopher, but I thought that was a compelling idea, and I say that to say that tonight we all come in here with aspirations and dreams, and I want you to dream big, dream big. So don't get that I'm telling you not to dream big. But I do want to say that it's wired into us by our culture. But the thing is, we need to know that achieving something great, there's a certain route to do it. Okay, Jesus gives us the route to do it, and it's not to elevate yourself, push other people down, and do whatever it takes. That's not the way to be great. Instead, Jesus says, if you want to become great, you have to come low. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 20, he says this. He says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. So if you want to be great, be a slave. That's what Jesus says. That's the way of Jesus. You don't hear that in our culture, do you? Jesus says, If you want to be great, if you want to be first, you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, if you want to be great, follow my example and give up your life for others. That's the way to greatness. So I don't want to tell you tonight that greatness is bad or that you shouldn't pursue greatness or pursue, or pursue your dreams, but I do want to tell you that Jesus has a specific road to true greatness, and that road is the road of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. So with that said, we're continuing our series, Ruler of My Heart, and Pastor Derek kicked it off last week, and he talked about the idea of being selfless. He talked about how when, when Jesus begins to rule in our hearts, when we begin to live in the upside-down kingdom, that's not about pushing ourselves up, but instead it's about pushing others and God up. When we begin to do that, we, or if we want to live into that, we have to be selfless. Okay, that's what Pastor Derek proposed last week. And, and tonight what we're going to talk about is humility. Okay, so it's, they're very closely tied. You might be wondering, what's the difference? Selflessness is more of an action. Humility is a mindset. Selflessness is an action. Humility is a mindset. Okay, so last week we talked more about the action. Tonight we want to talk more about the mindset, which is viewing ourselves properly in light of God and others. And I want to say something to you guys before we jump into this. 
I believe that this word's from God. Okay, I believe that every week, but I believe it specifically tonight. And I know you have a lot going on. Spring break's coming up. You got the test. But I'm telling you, if you listen to this, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. So I just wanted to tell you that because I believe he has something for you. I know it's tempting. I remember spring break. I wanted to pass out at Chi Alpha the week before spring break. But stay awake with me because I believe that God has something. So anyways, we're going to be in James chapter 4. Okay, so turn there with me. I want to give you a little bit of background about James. James is the brother of Jesus. Okay, so James wrote this letter to a church. And James is the brother of Jesus. Okay, and James was the leader of the of the church in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified and resurrected, the capital of Israel. And he led that first church, and he wrote this letter to Jewish Christians about 10 years after Jesus died and rose again. I love two things about the book of James. If you're a new Christian or if you haven't really read the Bible, James is a great place to start, okay? And there's, there's two reasons why I think that is. One, James is super practical, okay? So if sometimes you get confused by the Bible and you just want someone to shoot straight with you, then read James. He'll come at you hard, okay? And he'll just tell you how it is. So read James for that reason. But two, the thing I love about it is that it's written by Jesus' brother. If I came here and started saying that Derek was God, then you would think something crazy's up, right? Because I know Derek better than all of you do, and I'm his brother, and I know all the bad parts about him, okay? So, so James, Jesus' brother, the guy who grew up with Jesus, he started saying that Jesus was God. And that should cause us to think. If you want to have a conversation about, or, about whether or not Jesus was God or not, then think about James, His brother did not think he was God when he was alive. So James did not think that Jesus was God. He didn't buy his crap, okay? He said, no, there's no way you're God, okay? I know you. You poop just like I do. There's no way you're God. But then something happened after Jesus died that changed James's mind. And I think what happened was he saw him come up out of the grave, okay? So if Derek died and then came up out of the grave, I might start thinking a little bit differently and say, okay, something weird is up with my brother, James saw something with Jesus. He, there's something that changed his mind about Jesus, and I think he saw Jesus rise from the grave, okay? And then James becomes the leader of the church, and he ends up dying for Jesus. He gives up his life for Jesus. So when James writes about how to live the Christian life, when James writes about how to please Jesus, I'm going to listen to him, okay? Because he had a real encounter that changed his whole worldview, and it caused him to be radically devoted to the cause of Christ, okay? So this guy has credibility. This guy has authority. Okay, so let's read it, and let's see what he has for us today. Okay, so James chapter 4, verse 6 through 10, and just for a little backdrop, before this, he's talking about how our sinful passions cause us to do stupid things, like fight with each other. Okay, that's what he's talking about, like like our sinful passions cause us to quarrel with each other and fight and bicker, and he's saying that the way to unity is, is actually pursuing humility. Okay, so let's read it now. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so he says, although you're sinful, he's talking about how we're so sinful. He says, although we're sinful and selfish, there's grace for that. However, God's grace demands a response. If we're going to receive God's crazy grace, we have to be humble. Okay, so restoration with God and with others starts with humility. How many of you know if you're fighting with somebody, if you want to restore that relationship, it starts with humility to come and say, hey, I was wrong, right? And it's true with God as well. If you want to receive God's grace and forgiveness, you have to humble yourself, okay? So he says that here in verse 7, he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, okay? So the submission to God idea is this idea of bringing yourself under the rule of Jesus, okay? Bringing yourself under his authority and resisting the pull of the devil in the world, saying no to your sinful passions, and instead saying yes to whatever Jesus 
tells you to do. Okay, he goes on. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your, see, he just called us sinners, right? He's speaking truth, okay? And he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. He just called me double-minded. I don't know if I like James anymore. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. I don't want to mourn and weep. I want to be happy. And he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So James says, if we want to experience God's grace, we need to have a revelation of the depths of our sin, and we need to take it seriously. Our sin needs to break our hearts. It should break us when we sin. It, I'm not calling us to, to be hopeless, okay? Because, you know, Jesus paid for our sins. So James isn't calling us to be hopeless, but he is calling us to really recognize our sin, come to terms with it, and then let that stir up gratefulness in our heart that Jesus would give his life to cover our sins. James is saying, do not take sin lightly, okay? And then finally, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. All right, so the main idea tonight is this, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, greatness belongs to the humble. Greatness belongs to the humble. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray tonight that you would speak to us. God, I pray that tonight would be an encounter with you, God. We don't want to do religion. We didn't come out and risk the coronavirus to do religion, right? I'm playing. It's not a risk, hopefully. But, but God, I pray tonight that, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that that you would meet us right where we're at tonight. Whatever we're bringing in tonight, God, I pray that you would meet us right where we're at and change us forever. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, if you're taking notes, the first point is this. Humility is a magnet for God's grace. If you want to attract God's grace, humble yourself. That's what James is saying in verse 6. He says that God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. So what does it mean to be proud. I think we all know what it means in our heart, but it's hard to articulate sometimes. So I, I sat down and thought about it, and I think that the proud are those who think that they have no need for God. They think that they are capable on their own to do their life and, and to run their life on their own. And they aren't willing to admit their need for help, like whether that be for help from others or help from God. God is opposed to those who think they're good on their own. God is opposed to those who think they have it together. God is opposed to those who are independent from him and don't depend upon him. And not only that, but, but the proud, they, they continually put themselves before other people, and they think that they're more important than other people. Some of us actually think that. Like, if we're really honest, we think we're more important than other people. I think that sometimes. Like, not consciously. Like, Daniel, you're more important than other people, but we live in that reality. We just live in this, this me-centered universe where everything's about us and how it helps us. We think about things through that lens. The definition of the Greek word for proud is an overweening, which is a great word, overweening estimate of one's means or merits, deposing others or even treating them with contempt. It's being haughty. That's what pride is. That's what being proud is. And it kind of reminds me of, of Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Paul says this. He says, for, by the grace given to me, I take or I say, not I tay, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the, or to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So if we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, if we don't have, a, if we don't have the self-awareness to know our sin and to know that we're not better than anybody else, then God will oppose us. Okay, so while James says that God is opposed to the proud, he also says that God gives grace to the humble. So what does it mean to be humble? 
I'm glad you asked. You're really excited. The Greek word for humble, tapanos, means, or it literally means not rising far from the ground. Okay, so it's like, okay, now I'm humble. I, I did my work. No, I'm kidding. But, the, but it's this idea, this concept of being lowly in spirit. So what's it look like to be lowly in spirit? Does that mean you walk around with your tail between your legs and say, I suck? Like Eeyore, life stinks. I'm horrible. Is that a good Eeyore impression? Probably not. But, but uh, a lot of people have commented on what humility is over the centuries. And C.S. Lewis, I think, probably has the most profound quote that I've seen on humility. And I think it, it captures it well. He says this. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Okay, so we're not called to be Eeyore, right, or, or think we're no good, but we're called to think of ourselves less. Humility is not degrading yourself. It's not beating yourself up. It's not saying you're no good. It's simply not being consumed with you, with being consumed with yourself. It's having a right view of yourself in light of other people. It, it's knowing who you are and that you're not the center of the universe. When we know that, when we know that we're not the center, when we know that, that yes, we're more flawed than we could ever imagine, but at the same time, we're more loved than we could ever dream, it produces this humility and this gratefulness in our hearts before God and other people. We don't walk around with a chip on our shoulders. We don't walk around trying to prove ourselves. We don't walk around just thinking about us, but instead we're concerned about other people. David Wilkerson, he's a great pastor who pastored in Times Square for decades, he said this. He said, a humble person is not one who thinks little of himself, hangs his head and says, I'm nothing. But rather, that was a terrible impression. Rather, he is one who depends wholly on the Lord for everything in every circumstance. In other words, humility is a recognition of your utter need for God. Pride is saying, I have no need for God. I can do it on my own strength. If I work hard enough, if I do the things I know how to do, then everything's going to work out for me. But humility is saying, I am nothing without Jesus. I need him to move through me. We must not only know who we are, though, but we also must know who others are. We must realize that every person you interact with is not just a mortal. That's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, there's no person that you've met that's a mere mortal. Instead, every person has a piece of the divine inside of them. Every person is made in the image of God. Every person you interact with is made in God's image. Everyone who cuts you off in traffic. I got a story for you. Okay, this was weird today. I was driving. I was at Avery Schottler's house. Uh, where's Avery at? Great guy. And he lives right by the Cedar Falls High School. And I caught myself behind a school bus. And the kid in the back seat was flipping me off for no reason. He was laughing at me and flipping me off. So what did I do? I flipped, no, I didn't flip him off back. But <laughs> no, what did I do? I, I put down the mirror and I hid from him because I'm like, that hurts my feelings. I don't want to see that. So I don't even know how I got into that. But, but the point is, that kid, although he's a punk, he's made in God's image, right? Every person you interact with, that professor who just or, or seems to nag at you, that person is made in the image of God, right? Every person you interact with is made in God's image, and they deserve respect, and they deserve love, they deserve grace. Every person. You know, Jesus said, if you want to receive the kingdom of God, you have to be like a little child. And what I think of when I think of that verse, I think of the idea of being a child surrounded by adults and giving honor to them, giving deference to other people and saying, I'm not going to try to promote myself over others. Instead, I'm going to give honor and respect to other people. 
I think that's what it looks like to be humble. James says if we can get to this point, we're like a little child, but we're humble before the Lord and before others, God will give us abundant grace to help us overcome our sin and to become the person that he created us to be. But if you, if me, if any of us, if we walk in pride, God will oppose us. I don't want God to oppose me. I don't want God to be against me. That's not a good life to live, right? So what does this look like for us? Well, one, what's it look like if our community is prideful? What would that look like? Well, I think pride for us could look like not submitting to our leaders, okay? I think pride could look like looking down at other people who aren't where we are at spiritually, kind of turning our nose up if people aren't quite where we are, like, wow, they only read their Bible three times last week. I read mine four, right? That would be pride. Pride could look like thinking or thinking we've arrived spiritually and we don't have as much of a need for God as we once did. I think that's a little bit of what it looks like to be prideful. I think to be humble, it looks like having this posture of always wanting to ask people for their prayers and advice, right? Not thinking we know on our own, but instead, if we're faced with a decision or we're struggling with something, we, we gather people around to speak into our lives and we actually listen to them and we let them speak into our lives. We have a teachable spirit that says, I don't know everything, I need help. I think humility looks like being open to correction when people give us correction. Right, a lot of times we want to puff up our chest when people give us correction, but instead I think humility, just look, even if they're wrong, even if they're wrong, which people will be when they give you correction, sometimes they'll be off, I think humility still looks like saying, hey, I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that with me. And then you can go put it in the trash can if you want afterwards. But you need to listen and give respect when people give you correction. I think it looks like giving people the benefit of the doubt. That's what humility looks like. I have a dream that, that this community would be a community where we always we always read uh, what people say or what people do in the best possible light, right? So if someone does something and it could be taken one of two ways, like really bad or not so bad, we always go the not so bad way. That's humility. Like not always assuming that people have terrible intentions, right? Like not being too sensitive all the time and thinking that people are out to get us, but instead saying, hey, they were just having a bad day that day. Or, you know, like maybe a college student walks by you and you're excited to see them and you're like waving and they don't see you because they're listening to their music. And you could walk away from that and say, wow, that person stuck up. Or you could say, hey, they're listening to their music, and they got noise-canceling headphones, which is stupid, because you should be able to hear people, right? And they just didn't see me, right? So there's two ways of going about things a lot of times. And I think that humility looks like always giving people the benefit of the doubt. The point is, humility is a magnet for God's grace. But, but now that we've established that, how do we become humble? Because humble, or being humble is not something you can just say, I'm humble right? I'm humble now. No, it's like it just seems like it's something that's kind of innate in some people and not in others. But James gives us kind of a roadmap to become humble. He says in verse 7, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So the way to humility is submission, pursuit, and repentance. Submission, pursuit, and repentance, submission, pursuit, and repentance. When you're sitting up at 12 o'clock tonight, I'm praying that you'll hear submission, pursuit, and repentance in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the road to humility. That's what James tells us here. So I want to briefly take these things in turn. Okay, We don't have time to unpack 
all of them completely. They could all be separate sermons. But, but first, we must submit ourselves to God and resist the devil. So what's that look like? It looks like willingly bringing yourself under God's authority and his lordship. It looks like saying, not my will, but your will be done. And everything we do is saying, not my will, but your will be done. Submission is a commitment to obey God no matter what he asks you to do. I think of the night that Jesus, that Jesus was betrayed and crucified. He went to a garden and he prayed and he said, God, please take this cup from me. I don't want to be murdered, which is a fair request, right? But he realizes I'm going to get murdered and God's not going to change his mind. And what's he say at the end? He says, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Submission looks like that saying, not my will, but your will be done. I just want to please you, God. I just want to please you. It's not about my dreams. It's not about my passions. It's about what you want to do through me. I'm just your instrument. That's submission, doing whatever King Jesus asks us to do. That's, that's submission. If we want to be humble, we have to lower ourselves under God's authority and let him call the shots. And we must resist the devil's will that calls us to pursue our own self-interest, to pursue our own comfort, and to not care about God or care about others. We must resist that. This word for resist means to stand against. It means to oppose or withstand. We have to make a commitment to not bow to the devil's wishes or his temptations as he always seeks to separate us from God. And when we resist, James promises us that the devil will flee. We can have confidence if we resist the devil that he'll flee. Okay, so the second thing is pursue. Okay, pursue. So first thing was submission. Second thing is pursuit. If we want to be humble, we have to pursue. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If we want to get the supernatural gift of humility from the Lord, we need to get serious about pursuing God. We have to get serious about him. We can't just settle for religion. Instead, we have to be hungry like a lion for God's presence. He said, I want to do whatever it takes to get closer to God. I'm going to wake up early and spend time with the Lord every single day. I'm telling you guys, when I get up early and spend time with the Lord, my day is way better. If I get off on that schedule, I'm a grumpy man. I'm just going to be honest with you. I challenge you, if you've never gotten up early to spend time with the Lord, to start doing that. And I promise you, when you do that, he will come near to you. It says right here, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And if you want to become humble, that's the way to do it. If you're spending every day in the Bible and in prayer, and in God's presence, the only proper response to that would be humility, because you're standing before the king of the universe. Every morning, you're standing before him saying, God, speak to me. God, do something in my life. And when you encounter the real God every day, it produces humility inside of your heart. All right, and then the third thing is, is James says you have to repent if you want to become humble. Okay, so he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. If we want to be humble, we must realize our sin and our fallenness. And we must make a commitment to not take sin lightly. I'm not telling you, James isn't telling you to be full of shame and guilt when you sin. That's not what Jesus wants for us. So hear that, okay? But what he's saying is when you sin, you have to to be repentant. You have to want to turn the other way. You can't just laugh at it or just ignore it. Instead, you have to deal with it. And the way we deal with that is we confess it to God and to others. It says in 1 John, if you confess your sins, God will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins 
to one another, and you'll be healed. Okay, so I'm not asking you, James isn't asking you to be full of shame or guilt about your sin, but he is saying you need to take it seriously. You need to confess your sin. When James calls us double-minded, he's pointing out, and this is true, right? Like, this is true. We're often pulled between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. We're double-minded. We're pulled in both directions. I'm pulled in both directions, guys. Like, there are times, there are days where I'm just like, Lord, I really want to sit in my house and watch Netflix all day long and eat junk food. I don't want to serve anybody. I don't want to do anything godly. I just want to be a lazy bum, right? That's the kingdom of Satan. I'm not saying it's bad to rest, okay? Take a Sabbath and rest. But what I am saying is that temptation is in all of us. We're pulled between these two kingdoms, and James is saying, stop being double-minded. Instead, be wretched and mourn about your sin. Get it out of your life. Get Jesus into your life. He's saying, take your sin seriously. D.J. Moo says this. He says, true Christian joy can never be ours if we ignore or tolerate sin. It comes only when we have, have squarely faced the reality of our sin, brought it before the Lord in repentance and humility, and experience the cleansing work of the Spirit. If we want to be humble, we have to get serious about saying no to sin and saying yes to God. We must realize who we are and get in desperate need for God. Has anybody in here had relational difficulties in your life? If you haven't, you are a saint. Good job. Has anyone had someone hurt you deeply, like to the core, like it just hurt you, it just cut at you? If you haven't yet, it'll happen, I promise. Just give it a little bit of time. You're still young. It'll happen. James 4, like I said, started out by talking about how we fight with each other all the time. And then he gets into this bit about humility and how humility is the way to unity. When people have hurt me or made me mad or, or cut me to the core, I typically want to lash back. Okay, so you know like the fight or flight thing? I'm a fighter. I'm not a flighter. I fight, right? Derek is, a, is more of a flighter, right? So when Derek would hear me yelling growing up, he would hide in his room, right? Just the way we are. He's much better than me. So point is, I want to lash back when people hurt me. I want to put people in their place. And there was a time that I can remember where I was really hurt, and I wanted to lash back, and I could, like, hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he was saying, Daniel, don't say anything. Daniel, don't do anything back. Don't lash back at these people. Don't do that. And instead, he actually said, instead of lashing back, I want you to repent for those thoughts in your heart right now of anger. I'm like, I didn't even do anything yet. Why do I got to repent? I think he wanted me to repent to there's an act of surrender and humility and saying even the angry thoughts are sin, right? Like, we have to take sin seriously. Guys, I think sometimes, like, when you're in college before you're married, like, I think the only sin we try to really avoid is, like, don't have sex, don't smoke pot, and don't drink, okay? I think that's sometimes the way we think. Like, for me, like, I remember before I was married, like, if I don't have sex, I'm good. And then I got married, and I said, oh, my gosh, there's all this other sin in my life. Now I can have sex without feeling bad, and now I realize all this other sin. But don't wait till you're married to start dealing with the other sin, right? Which one of those things is angry thoughts. Like, why don't you lash back at people? I share that to say that in that moment when I repented of that, I, I, I felt this strange sense of peace and joy. This joy that I was walking in my identity as a son of God, right? You think about Jesus. When he was betrayed and crucified, he did not defend himself. He did not lash back. He took the beatings without saying a word. And I believe as Christians, we're called to that way. We're called to humility. We're not called to flip the kid off on the bus, right, although I wanted to. We're not called to do that. 
Instead, we're called to be humble. We're called to lower ourselves. We're called to hear Jesus saying, or saying in our ear, hey, remember who you are. I gave my life for you. To hear God the Father saying, you're my daughter. You're my son. You need to be like me. Do not be like the way of the world. Do not give in to the kingdom of Satan. So how can we submit, pursue, and repent? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have some goals up here, okay? Hashtag submit goal. That's going to be trending, okay? So first thing, if you want to learn to submit, submit to the word of God over your own ideas, even when you don't understand. The test of if you're truly submissive to God is when you read something in the Bible and it don't make sense to you and you still submit to it. If you're just only agreeing with the Bible when it makes sense to you, then you're not submitting to God. You're submitting to yourself. And your God is actually your own ideas. But instead, when you read the word and something comes across a little bit funny, a little bit sketchy, and you're like, I don't get that, but I'm going to figure out what it means, and I'm going to submit to whatever it says, that means you're starting to submit, and thereby you're starting to become humble before the Lord. A pursue goal, or pursue goals, hashtag, do that, is read the word of God every day. Every day, read it. Pray intentionally every morning. Have a, a set-aside time to pray. If you don't know how to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. Okay, it's a beautiful prayer. And then pray throughout the day. As you worry, like every time you worry, here's a challenge. Every time you worry, pray. Every time you're like worried about the, the coronavirus or you're worried about uh, the midterm, you pray right then. You give it to Jesus. You kind of roll it up into prayer. Also, obey whatever God tells you to do. That's a way to pursue him. No matter what it is, you do it. You immediately obey him. Okay, and then repentance goals. Every morning in the shower, pray a prayer of confession about the day before. Think back through the day and say, God, when did I not please you yesterday? When did I hurt your heart? And repent of that. Don't do it in a sense of hopelessness, but do it in a sense of gratefulness that says, wow, Jesus, thank you for paying for that. I want to be more like you. Help me to be more like you today. But then also in small group, confess your sins to your small group people every week. And I'm not just talking about if you looked at pornography or something like that. I'm talking about, hey, I was being self-centered. You know, I'm going to use this joke one more time. I'll stop. I flipped a kid off on the bus, Okay. You know, repent of those things. Bringing that stuff before your small group. Don't act like you have it all together. We don't have time for your fakeness. I don't think you want me to be fake, and we don't want you to be fake. We all want to be real. Okay, so bring your sin to your small group, guys or girls. Say, hey, this is where I'm struggling. All right, I got one more point, and we're running short on time, so I'm going to hurry. The verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Okay, so here's the beautiful thing about humility. True humility produces confidence. James ends his exhortation on humility with a somewhat surprising conclusion. He says, when you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. It reminds me of Jesus' words when he says, the first will be last and the last will be first. The idea that the greatest among us is the servant. The idea that if we lower ourselves, God will actually lift us up. It makes me think of Jesus' story and how his act of laying down his life actually led to his exaltation. Without his crucifixion, he couldn't have been resurrected, right? Through his crucifixion, he was resurrected, but not just that. He ascended to heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God, and he is over all creation. He's the king of all creation. And, and the way there was his humility, his, his crucifixion. On the other side of humility is exaltation. I want to drill down on what exaltation looks like. Does that mean like we're standing on a stage and everyone's like, hallelujah? No, that's not what it means. I believe it looks like a few things. One, I think it looks like God fighting our battles for us. 
So many of us try to fight our own battles. But when you humble yourselves before the king, he fights your battles for you. You can have confidence that he will slay the dragons in your midst, right? You can have confidence that he'll take down Goliath for you. Okay, we're not called, like that story of David and Goliath, we're not called to be David, right? Like we're not that important. We're not that special. Like we're not called to be like, all right, Goliath, I got this. I'm David. I'm taking you down. Instead, we're called to watch Jesus take down Goliath for us. Because we're sitting in the stands hiding. Thank you, Jesus. That's what it looks like to be exalted. You humble yourself, and then Jesus fights your battle on your behalf. You don't need to fend for yourself. Instead, God does the heavy lifting. I think exaltation looks like walking in boldness because we know that we've done the hard work of emptying ourselves of pride, which is what God's opposed to, and we can walk out of that emptying experience of humility. We can walk out of that in authority because we don't have to worry about our motives. We don't have to overthink things like, is that going to come across wrong? Am I being prideful? We're not actually even thinking about ourselves at all because we've humbled ourselves before the king, and out of that we can walk in authority and say, I've humbled myself, and now Jesus wants to use me to do whatever he asked me to do. Jesus wants to use me to do great things because I've done the work of emptying myself. I think exaltation looks like confidence. It looks like confidence because if you've lowered yourself, okay, get this, because if you've lowered yourself before God and you know that if you lower yourself, he's going to exalt you, then you know that it's not on you to perform. It's not on you to do anything for God. You don't have to be insecure. You don't have to walk around not confident. Instead, you walk around with confidence because because you know that, that, that God loves to move through weak vessels and that it's on him to move through you. It's not on you, okay? You are not in charge of God using you. You're not in charge of it. All you got to do is humble yourself and then let God do it through you. So last week I was at a pastor's conference. That, that's why I wasn't here. And the speaker asked, who in here wants to do a great thing for God? And we're all like, ah, yeah. That's what pastors do when they get together. We're like, yeah, God, use us. And he's like, hey, that's not your job. And we're like, huh? I thought it was. I thought we were like the saviors, right? No, he says, your job is to consecrate yourself before God and let him do great things through you. It's not your job to do great things. Okay, you're all like, what's consecrate mean? That's a fancy church word. It's in the, or we find it in the Bible. And, and consecrate means to set yourself apart and to be utterly devoted to God. So what that pastor was saying is, if you utterly devote yourself to God, it's on him to use you. It's not on you. The reason we're prideful is we think it's on us. But the humble know it's not. They know it's on God. They know I'm nothing without him, and if he doesn't show up, well, then this isn't going to work out. But the prideful think, I got to do everything in my own power to make this work. The humble are exalted because a humble vessel is a vessel that God can move through. Because a prideful vessel doesn't make room for God to move. Instead, we're trying to do it on our own strength. Humility, true humility should produce confidence. God is not calling you to be insecure. He's not calling you to beat yourself up. He's calling you to be a bold servant of him who's done the hard work of spending time in his presence and to come out of that secret place with confidence and fire in your eyes and saying, God wants to use me to change the world. That's what he calls us to. God is calling us to humble boldness. I think that's the way to reach this next generation. I really do. I believe that, that a group of people who can be humble and bold at the same time, I think God wants to use that kind of group of people. I, I just believe that. Okay, so I'm going to end this with this quote here from Tim Keller. He says this. Tim Keller's smart. If you want to read a book, 
and read this book, The Reason for God. He says this. He says, the Christian gospel is that I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, and yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. This is it. We need to get this inside of us. I cannot feel superior to anyone. And yet I have nothing to prove. Nothing to prove. If you're a son or daughter of the king, you have nothing to prove. I believe we need to hear that tonight. So many of us are posturing. We're trying to make our life work out. We're stressing out about everything because we think it's all on us. But God just says, if you would just humble yourself before me, I'll do great things through you and I'll take care of your life. I believe that, that God has called us To a few things when it comes to this humble confidence. I, you know, just to sum it up, I, I think there's a few things that he wants for us. I think, one, he wants us to prioritize his presence, spend time in his presence, and when we come out of that, to walk in authority. I've said that, but I want to make that point again. When we come out of his presence, we, to walk in authority. I think God is calling us not to back down when he calls us to take a step of faith because we know that it's not on us. Okay, you back down when you think it's on you because you know you can't do it on your own. But when you know that God is calling you and that he's going to move through you, then you don't back down even when God calls you to do the hardest thing. And I also believe he's calling us to walk in security and confidence and to stop comparing ourselves to other people. We've got to quit comparing ourselves. I believe if we can do this, we're going to truly be humbly bold. I believe that humility is the secret sauce to living a life that God created us to live. If you're wondering, if you're feeling unhappy, if you're feeling burdened, it's probably because you're struggling with pride. But if we can embrace humility before God and people, that's the way to the abundant life that Jesus calls us to live. Okay, so the main idea tonight is this. Greatness belongs to the humble. Greatness belongs to the humble. Greatness belongs to the humble if I had one message I could preach to you guys, I'm about to be done as the director. I, I think some of you know that. I'll still be around, but we're planting a church this fall, which is going to be great, and I'll be stepping into that. But if I could give you one thing, this is it. One thing, this is it. If I had one message to give you, obviously the gospel, right, but, but this. Humility is the secret to greatness. We do not need to fend for ourselves. We do not need to work our lives out. We do not need to posture. We do not need to shove others down. Instead, we need to lift God and others up. And, and when we do, we're going to live an abundant life. So tonight, we all came in here at, at different places in our journey. And some of you came in here, and if you're honest, as Tim Keller said, you struggle with the swagger, right? You got a little swag to your step. You struggle to understand your need for God. Uh, you often think you're better than others. You know, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not, I don't know. But, but if you're honest, you kind of have an inflated, or an inflated view of yourself. 
I want to encourage you that if you live long enough, then you're going to realize how fragile you are and how unable you are to make your whole life work out. You know, for me, guys, I am a type A person. I'm an Enneagram 3, which is an achiever. I, my top strength on Strengths Finder is achiever. I like to work really hard and make stuff happen. That's who I am. And honestly, I kind of just had this mindset my whole life that if I work hard enough, it's going to happen. And I remember in 2016, me and Emily started trying to get pregnant. And that was the first time I really came face to face with my inability to make stuff work. Because, uh, you know, you can take the steps to get pregnant, which is good. But uh, you can't make yourself get pregnant, right? And we struggled for two years, well, like a year and a half to get pregnant. And then we tried, tried again, and finally got pregnant. And then we miscarried shortly after that. And I just got to this place of, of desperation before the Lord. And I was just like, God, I can't do this. I can't make this happen. You know, in my life, I've been able to make stuff work, but I can't make this happen, God. You gotta show up. You gotta do something. I'm, I'm in desperate need for you. Guys, I can remember nights where if the Lord would wake me up at like one o'clock in the morning and I would go into our future nursery, which we already had set apart to be a nursery before we were pregnant. And I would just pray on my knees and say, God, I need you to show up. I need you to do something. I need you to move. We can't do this on our own. And I just believe that's the secret to life, guys. Not just like getting pregnant. That's the secret to life is if we could just really live with that understanding that, hey, we can't do anything on our own. And the story is, you know the story if you've been around, but, but after, or about six months after our miscarriage, we got pregnant with Jane. And I remember every single day I'd wake up and I'd have, just have this fragile sense of, you know, today we could lose Jane. We could lose Jane today. And I'd have to pray every day, God, I need you. God, I need you. Please show up. Please protect Jane. Please protect Jane. I pray that every day, protect Jane, protect Jane, protect Jane. And God protected her. Now she's, uh, uh, I don't even know how many months old. She's almost a year and a half, okay? So that's the point. But the point is, she consumes my life now. But it, but it came through prayer. It came through desperation. My exaltation came after my humility. So I say that to say that if you came in here tonight with an inflated view of yourself, if you came here or came in here with an overconfidence in your own abilities, I pray that you would get to that place that I got to and just recognize your utter need for Jesus. You need him for anything you do. Like even for our ability to see, right? Our ability to breathe, these things that come so naturally to us, our ability to talk, it all comes from Jesus. It's all a gift from him. You need him. You know, sometimes we stress out so much about our tests and all this stuff, all these, all these things. And Jesus is saying, hey, you couldn't even, you know, read the words on that paper on your test if it wasn't for me. So trust me with your tests. If you've studied, if you've done your work, I'm gonna work through you. Just trust me. Okay, we need to get to that place, though, this, this place of knowing that everything comes from him. And if you came in here tonight and you're on the other end, okay, so you're not on the end of pride that's inflated, but you're on the end of pride that's deflated in the sense of you're not overconfident, but you actually have a really, really unhealthy, low view of yourself. Like you think you're no good. You, you don't think that God could do anything through you. You don't think, think that there's any purpose to your life. I pray tonight that you would, that you would realize that you're not powerful enough to screw up your life. You're not that strong, you're not that powerful. You cannot screw up your life. As long as you're breathing, there's always a chance for God to use you, okay? I pray tonight that you would know that. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, that I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Tonight, I pray that you would realize that your weakness is not your downfall, it's actually your weapon. Your weakness is not your downfall, it's your weapon. 
allow it to cause you to be desperate for God and realize that when you get desperate, when you get humble, that's actually when God moves through you. So stop viewing yourself so lowly. Stop, stop beating yourself up. Stop thinking you're no good, but instead just know that, that uh, your weakness is actually a good thing and that God wants to move through that. And when you're, or when you're weak before God, you can actually walk with authority and confidence. Okay, I just pray that you get that tonight. You can stand with me. We're gonna close. I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel tonight. And the gospel is the good news about Jesus, how he came and he died on our behalf, how, how when we were no good, when we were unworthy, when we were sinful, Jesus came down and laid, or came down to earth and laid down his life so that, or so that we could be forgiven. He paid our penalty on the cross so we could be forgiven. And if you came in here tonight and if you're very honest with yourself and with God and you realize tonight that you are not in right relationship with him, and you want to be restored to him, I just want to say tonight that the way to restoration is humility. The way to restoration with God is to say, I'm a crummy God. I can't run my life on my own. I am in desperate need for the grace of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story. There, there's two men. There's one man who's religious. He thinks he's really good. He thinks he has it all together. And Jesus says, that man is not going to enter into my kingdom. But then there's another man who's a tax collector and a sinner. And this man's beating his chest saying, essentially, I'm no good. I need your grace, God. And Jesus says, that's the person who's going to be in my kingdom. So tonight, if you want to have salvation, if you want to come into right relationship with Jesus, that's the road. It's the road of saying, I can't do it on my own. I need you, Jesus. So let's just take, an op or take this moment to pray that. So even if you're already saved, if you're already a Christian, I want to pray towards that end. So just bow your head and close your eyes and and I want to know who I'm praying for with this. So if you want to put your faith in Christ tonight, if you want to become his son or daughter, if you need forgiveness, if, if you want to become a Christian, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I want you to slip up your hand to show the Lord that you want to be in right relationship with him. So one, two, three. Slip them up all across the screen, all across the screen. All right. All right. So let's pray. We're going to pray that prayer. So Jesus, tonight we come to you. God, we recognize our utter need for you. God, we recognize that without your grace, we could never live in relationship with you. Tonight, God, we put all of our trust in you. God, we say it's not on us, but it's on you. We put our faith in your sacrifice on the cross and in your resurrection from the grave. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so another way to respond tonight, and keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. You know, typically we all raise our hands for this question, but I want you to really think about it tonight you came in here tonight and you realize that you're struggling with pride, like there's a deep, like there's a struggle there, like whether you're you know, walking with a swagger or you're walking all destitute, if you're just consumed with yourself and you just want to ask Jesus tonight, say, Jesus, please make me humble. Jesus, please do a work in my heart. Can you just slip up your hand right now to heaven? Just ask him to do that. Okay, so I'm going to pray. And here's the thing, Jesus is real. He's here right now. It says where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. So I'm going to ask Jesus right now to deposit a supernatural humility in our hearts tonight. So Jesus, we ask you right now, Holy Spirit, to come in and God, to give us a deep sense of who we are. God, I pray that you give us profound confidence, but also profound humility. God, I pray that we'd be a people who know who we are, that a people who know that we're more flawed than we could ever imagine, but at the same time, we're more loved than we could ever dream. God, I pray that that would change us. God, I pray that that would change us. So, Jesus, we ask you to do that. In your name, amen. All right, let's worship the Lord.